our family just came back from a trip, you know, being a dad of a 14 and 16 year old, I'm wanting to stretch our boys a little bit and give them some experiences to kind of toughen them up for the, the real world. So we thought it was a good idea to go camping in the hills of West Virginia. I had never been to West Virginia before. I have done very little camping in my life, but we tried it out and we did a couple nights in a tent and then we moved to a cabin Airbnb. <laughs> but no joke, my kids came home from the trip acting like they're seasoned frontiersmen because not because of camping in the tent, but because the cabin had painfully, dreadfully slow Wi-Fi. They think they're outdoorsmen. They think they're ready to audition for the show alone. You know what I'm saying? They're ready to go out into the wilderness. Um, I want to tell you a story today, and I'm a little bit of a history nerd, so I'm going to take you all the way back to the 1800s. But the message I have for you today that the Lord put on my heart to deliver is I believe going to give you hope and endurance to hold on to the dream that God has given you. We all want to grow. We all want personal growth. But how many of you know it's, it, your growth is not just an end in and of itself. Your growth is for the glory of God. And it revolves around a dream that he's entrusted to your heart. So the year was 1801. Our president was Thomas Jefferson at the time. Two-thirds of our nation lived within 55 miles of the East Coast. Uh, we had 5.3 million people living in America at the time, but Thomas Jefferson was convinced that out west, westward exploration was necessary for our nation's growth. He wanted to know what was out there. He wanted to know about uh, the, the culture of the Native American tribes. He wanted to know about minerals, fossils, water routes, travel routes, all of it. And after several failed attempts, he saw a young man who had potential but wasn't ready yet. Enter Meriwether Lewis. Now, Meriwether Lewis, he grew up on a 2,000-acre farm. His father passed away when he was a teenager, and so he began managing his family farm long before any other opportunities came to him. Christ Church, how many of you know that when you're faithful in the familiar, God will pour out some favor on that, and that won't be the only thing you're doing for very long? Amen? So here's Meriwether. He's faithful, taking care of the farm, but he's still not quite ready. So he joins the military, gets six years of experience in the military. Now Thomas Jefferson really has his eye on him, but he knows that he still lacks certain skills. He needs to learn the customs of Native Americans. He needs to learn about mineralogy and astrology and botany. He needs to know about all these things. He needs to develop a team, and there's when Captain uh, Clark joins him. This journey that was only supposed to take 18 months to go out to the West... The preparation process took years. In fact, Thomas Jefferson moved Meriwether Lewis into the White House for the last two years before he sent him out for in-depth, in-person training and mentoring in all those areas. Why? Because he understood that great plans require great preparation. How many of you know that the plan of God that he has on your life requires preparation? He shows you a vision. He shows you a dream. You're like, yes, God, that's what I was born for. That's what I want to do. But great plans always require great preparation. But come on, if we were honest in church today, we would say, I hate that. I, how many of you hate the wait? Like, you're like, <laughs> God says, listen, you're not just being delayed. You're actually being developed. There are times in my life in different seasons I'm like, God, you're punishing me. What, what's the point of this? He says, no, no, I'm not punishing you. I'm actually preparing you so that you can stand up under the weight of the favor that I have 
with your calling. Proverbs says that God adds blessings to your life with no sorrow added to it. If God were to answer your prayers and have you step into the fullness of your redemptive potential, trust me, if there's not a preparation process, there would be sorrow. Even the sheer magnitude of the blessing that God would want to unleash in your life could bring a weight and a burden that we could not bear. So I'm here to tell you that the adversity is actually preparing you to step into your destiny. But we don't like that. In fact, I heard, I think it was Pastor Lionel a couple weeks ago, he said, he said, this is what we do. We say, God, it's all falling apart. And God's like, nah, it's actually all falling right into place. How many of you know we serve a God like that? It's not all falling apart. It's just actually falling into place. And I want to look at the life of Joseph because there's so much encouragement we can pull from the life of Joseph. We want to talk about God developing a growth plan in a person. And now the details of your story will be different for sure. But the raw components of what God did to develop Joseph, every single one of us in this room will have to walk through. There are certain things at God's disposal that he will use to develop a person. And although the details are different, maybe the upbringing is different, I'm telling you the the heart of it is the same. And so there's a lot that we can learn from Joseph. And many times it looks like God is seemingly pausing the advancement of his kingdom for the systematic and intentional development of just one of his leaders. Moses, 40 years in the backside of the desert. Joseph, so many years. And so I just, I want to encourage you. One of the greatest battles you will have in your life is learning to wait on God. But can I tell you that one of the the only things that is harder than waiting on God is wishing that you had. Come on, how many of you have done some things, you've you've tried to make some things happen on your own, and you're like, that wasn't God. (laughs) Like, I got the t-shirt, I got the tattoo, I got whatever to prove it, like, I just... It wasn't God. So Joseph. What's so incredible about Joseph is that there is more detail surrounding the life of Joseph than any other biblical character. Thirteen chapters are dedicated to the life of Joseph. He has more detail in his narrative than any other person in Scripture. How many of you know we serve a God that doesn't do anything by accident? That was completely intentional. Right? And so Romans 15, I love this verse. Why would God leave the story of Joseph for us? It says, such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope, say hope, and encouragement as we wait patiently for God, his promises to be fulfilled in our lives. I believe the Holy Spirit's going to give you some hope and endurance because when you look at the life of Joseph, here is a young man who has a dream and a vision at 17 years old. He's deeply hurt by his family members and his loved ones. He's cast into a pit. He's sold into slavery. He's accused of adultery. He's thrown into prison. He's he's forgotten by those he's helped. I love it. Charles Swindoll said, We are all faced with a series of great opportunities brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. (laughs) Joseph. Then he would be promoted to the prime minister of Egypt, he would solve an international food crisis and God would give him the grace to forgive those who hurt him along the way. Do you know what's amazing? We serve a God who can work in your heart where you can forgive people who have never apologized for what they've done to you. Come on, church. This is real life. They may never show up to apologize, but God can still keep you moving in his path and not stop you because of unforgiveness or bitterness. 
So there's three things I want to give you today, three keys from Joseph's life. Key number one, Joseph needed to become solely dependent on God. He needed to rely on God. And in Genesis 37, we see the story begin to unfold. And I just give you the first two lines. It says, Jacob, Joseph's father, lived in the land where his father stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line, Joseph. Isn't it amazing? The whole Bible, Genesis 37, builds up this thing where you're about to learn about Jacob. And it says, here is Jacob's life, Joseph. We take a quick turn. You know what's amazing is the greatest thing about our lives is how we set up the next generation. Here's all you need to know about Jacob, Joseph. Isn't it amazing that your obedience is tied to someone else's breakthrough? Come on, church. How many are thankful that you're not going through this? You didn't pay the price to say yes to God just for your situation. It's for the next generation. So Joseph, the son of Jacob. He's 17 years old. God gives him a prophetic vision for his life where he can see where he's going. His prophetic gifting was ready to be used mightily, but his character and development was lacking. He grew up the great-grandson of Abraham, the patriarch. Abraham is listed as one of the wealthiest men in all of Scripture. So, so Joseph wasn't lacking anything. In fact, he was given a coat of many colors which was like the Armani suit. He, he was the favored child, and it says that his brothers hated him. And I love some of the detail that Scripture gives. It says that Joseph was a tattletale, that he would tell on his brothers when they weren't doing their job, and so it says they hated him all the more. So, so Joseph was kind of like the, the smooth-handed, like, I'm the favored child. I'm not doing the manual labor uh, he's from a wealthy, chic family. He's the great-grandson of an incredible patriarch. And his, his family was kind of a mess. His father had four wives. Listen, how many of you know, if you grow up with four moms and 12 brothers, y'all, it's about to get crazy. <laughs> and Come on, is anybody thankful that just because you came from a dysfunctional background doesn't disqualify you from the purpose of God? Come on, I, I'm telling you what, he, Joseph's family was so dysfunctional. And God didn't let that disrupt the plan. In fact, God used it. He was a favorite son, and Joseph knew it. He wasn't afraid to let other people know it. See, what Joseph at 17 didn't understand is that his, his status was actually for God's purpose. It wasn't for his ego. It wasn't for him. In fact, when he had this dream and he shared it with his brothers and he said, yeah, I saw all these other sheaves of grain bowing down to mine. Twelve of them, in fact, they got the allegory. They knew what he was saying. And then he said, I had another dream and I saw the sun, moon and stars bowing down to me. And, and his father said, will we all serve you? And it says even his dad was troubled by the dream. So my man has an accurate prophetic gift with zero common sense. Right? He doesn't have the wisdom yet. He's like a, he's like a baby with a loaded gun. He, he needed to learn sonship before he learned leadership. God had to develop his character. And so I'm sure Joseph at 17 was like, God showed me my dream. I'm pretty much going to run everything. I'm going to be the man. And so let's like get on with the show. What are you doing on Thursday, Jesus? Like, here we go. What he, what he craved is what most of us crave. Most of us crave momentum. But what God is looking for is maturity. Um, and so God had to develop Joseph just like he has to develop us. 
God had to actually systematically strip him of everything he thought was advantageous so that he could become solely dependent on God. That's not a fun process. R.T. Kendall is a friend of Christ Church, a friend of this house, and he said, God needed to build into Joseph a reliance on him beyond any dependence of his raw gifts, talents, abilities, or favorable circumstances. Joseph grew up with a silver spoon in his mouth, but it was about to get yanked out. We in America, don't we love this? We love the, the rags to riches stories. But this is honestly a riches to rags, back to riches story. So what is God doing in Joseph? Number one, he's teaching him how to become totally, solely dependent on him. Now, you know this. The kingdom of God and the natural world are, are completely opposites in major ways. Let me give you an example. When you were born, when I was born, we were completely dependent on our mothers. Without your mom, you wouldn't be here. There's a reason why God gives children to moms and not dads, because the population would be dramatically decreased. They kept us alive. We were, we were dependent on everything. But as you mature in the natural, you go from being dependent to being more independent, right? Uh, last Saturday, I went driving for my son's first lessons in the car. It was an adventure, y'all. I'm, I'm pretty amazed that I'm actually here. <laughs> I only had to yell twice, hit the brakes! <laughs> so the, the more mature you get, the more independent you become in the natural, but the spiritual, the kingdom of God is the complete opposite because when you were born, you were born into sin. When I was born, I was born into sin. Defiantly against God and, and independent from him. But as you grow in spiritual maturity, you actually grow in dependency. You actually mature into greater levels of childlikeness. So sometimes he has to systematically strip away things from our lives that we are leaning on, depending on favorable advantages, giftings, upbringings, whatever we might turn into an idol or something that could steal credit or glory from God along the way. And God just does it in, in fashion for, for Joseph because Joseph needed to become solely dependent on God. What is something that God has removed from your life recently that you thought that you just could not live without? And God says, listen, I haven't left you. You can lean on me. You can become dependent on me at another level. He did it for Joseph, and he does it in our lives. The second thing that Joseph needed to do is he needed to embrace the process. Say process. It's almost like a dirty word. Like, I hate the way. Process sounds like discipline. It sounds like endurance. Like, I was a sprinter in high school. I hated cross country. You know, anything beyond 400 meters, it was like, that's just too long. I don't even want to deal with that. you got to embrace the process. Psalm 105 says this. He, God, called for a famine on the land of Canaan, cutting off its food supply. Then he, God, sent the solution to that problem. He sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar. Watch verse 19. Until the time came to fulfill what? His dream, the word God had spoken him at 17. It says, the Lord tested Joseph's character. Now, who tested Joseph? The Lord. Jesus expounds on this in Matthew 13. He says, wherever my word is sown, Matthew 13, adversity is attracted to that seed. 
When you get a prophetic destiny, when God speaks something fresh, you're in your devotional time, you're listening to, to Dr. Ireland preach, and you're like, mm, that resonates. Whenever you get a word, God will actually allow adversity to be attracted to that word to prepare you, to refine you, to develop you so that you can step into the fullness of that word. Joseph was being tested by the very dream God gave him. When I was a kid, I grew up playing a game called Kill the Man with the Ball. I don't know why. Who names that? Who wants to even play that? Like, as kids, we're all excited. Like, yeah, the ball would come loose, the football would come loose, and one of us would grab for it, and then everyone else would try to kill that person. Some of you played King of the Mountain. Some of you have all different names for it. But I'm telling you, when you hold the ball, when you hold a word from God, it seems like all hell breaks loose to try to get that out of you. To get you to just be like, I don't even want to hold this anymore. Somebody else take this. Right? Why? You've got to protect the dream that God has given you. You've got to embrace the process. And we're about to draw some huge encouragement from Joseph because the truth is we all hate the process. It's human nature. We want it quick. Have you found out that God doesn't microwave anything? <laughs> he marinates it <laughs> for years. T.D. Jakes, I love he said, it only took him 25 years to become an overnight success. I'm a child of the 80s, so I remember one of the commercials that would play often. Does anyone in this room remember what a Chia pet was? Just wave at me, old people. <laughs> a Chia pet. I, as a kid, I never got one. I'm, I'm one of six. Like I said, I grew up with a poverty mindset. I never watched commercials thinking I was going to get some of it. But I watched a Chia pet, and I thought, my gosh, you pour water in the thing, and the next day the plant is growing? That's insane. How do they do that? Why? Because we just, my kids, if you come into my kitchen, you can look along the wall. We've got markings for how tall they are. Like a week later, they want us to measure them again. Why? Because we, we're obsessed with growing. We're obsessed with progress. By the way, that is a good thing that God put inside of you. But sometimes we struggle with embracing the process. And the enemy says, maybe if I can put enough pressure and enough adversity, you'll drop the ball. You'll let go of the dream. You'll think you never were the one to have it to begin with. And so Joseph was going through this process. Great plans always require great preparation. Can, can you personally relate or are you just that godly? <laughs> like, like some of you, you... I know that all the COVID weddings that got put on pause, like around now, everyone is taking up every venue, every hotel. And, and some of you are like, man, I'm on my 17th bridesmaid's dress and I haven't even found my own, you know, man of God. Some of you are in between jobs and you're waiting or you have a job, but you hate it. Or you're, you're waiting for some healing in your body. You're waiting for a loved one to get set free from an addiction or, or to come closer to Christ. You are waiting on a dream. You have something that God has spoken to you, but the process of holding that dream can become costly. I want to encourage you today to hold on to that word that God has given you. You may have been 41, you may have been 11, you may have been 19. It doesn't matter the age. I'm telling you, I believe God has spoken to you, and that's why all hell is breaking loose against you to get you to let go of that dream. Joseph, so when you're talking about a person's life in life coaching, we talk about process events. So let's, let's do a little sketch on Joseph's life, process events. My man started out up and to the right like it was an amazing trajectory. You're 17 years old and God says, basically, I'm going to give you so much favor, you're going to like manage the planet. 
Like, how do you prepare someone that is going to have so much favor that they could have anything at their disposal and be the second most powerful person in the known world? How do you, how do you develop that person? Well, we see in the life of Joseph. He's 17, he has that dream, and his father says, go check on your brothers, their shepherds in the, in the land of Dothan. Dothan means um, two wells. Back in that day, if you had one well, that was a blessing. If you had two, that was a double blessing. The only problem in Joseph's situation is those wells were empty, and his brothers threw him into the well. So now Joseph is downward trajectory. It's a bad day when your brothers try to kill you. But he gets rescued out of the well to live another day. The only problem is they saved him so that he could be human trafficked to Egypt with some Ishmaelite traders. That's an Uber ride you don't want. So now he's trafficked into Egypt. He's in Potiphar's house, a very influential leader, the chief executioner for Pharaoh. And honestly, it was the kindness of God because Joseph grew up, like I said, with a silver spoon in his mouth. He didn't have callous hands. He was the favored son. He was his, he was his dad's favorite son. He was his mama boy. He, he, here he is in Potiphar's house as a servant cleaning the floors and doing menial things. Now you have to picture this. At some point, you know in his mind, he said, I know my dad's going to come for me. I know Jacob has got a rescue team coming. I know somebody's coming for me. At what point did Joseph decide no one was coming? There was no Calvary. There was no connect group. There was no campus. There was no Mav City worship. There was no I'm going to see a victory. He was by himself. Except the Bible said that God was with him everywhere he went. And you know what? Sometimes when God is developing you, you're going to go through seasons of hiddenness. It's actually the kindness of God that the people around you don't perceive the gifting and the value that you possess in the wrong time. I'm talking to somebody. Listen, as a leader, as a person who has a dream, you would rather be disliked than be dismissed. But it was the kindness of God that Joseph was dismissed for a season in invisible on the radar. But how many of you know just because people don't see you doesn't mean God is not aware of where you are? There is no such thing as obscurity within the sovereignty of God. You are not off God's radar. He sees exactly where you are. And before long, Joseph has incredible favor. Now he is managing Potiphar's whole household. The Bible says Potiphar concerned himself with nothing except for what he would eat. And Joseph ran everything else. Incredible favor. Potiphar loved Joseph. The only problem was, so did Potiphar's wife. We're talking about like the real housewives of Egypt. This, 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 this trophy wife, she was a cougar. She was going after this young guy. And the Bible says relentlessly, day after day, she went after him. Do you know that God knows your heart and the inner constitution of your character before you're tested? Do you realize sometimes God allows you to go through things in your life just not so that he can see the result, but so you can see what you're made of? He's not surprised when you pass a test. He knew you had character. He wanted you to see that you'd have character in the face of that temptation. And when it comes to the testing of our character, isn't it so true? It always comes as a pop quiz. You don't get to say, oh, hold on. Let me, let me go prepare for this moment. No, no, no. It's, it's a pop quiz. 
all the teachers in the room, I, we, we hate when you throw pop quizzes. Like the kids going back to school, when you say clear off your desk, put it under, like the fear of God comes in us. The testing of your character is, is, is like a pop quiz. The good thing is Potiphar's wife was able to get his coat, but she couldn't get his character. No one can steal your character. You can just choose to squander it or, to, or steward it. She couldn't steal it. But here she is, she's chasing him down, and he, he passes the test in God's eyes, but, but he gets accused of sexual harassment and rape. So now Potiphar's not so keen on Joseph, and he throws him into prison. But Joseph's not thrown into just any prison. Potiphar actually had a prison. He was the chief executioner of Egypt. He had a prison attached to his property. This was for the white-collar criminals. This is for the people who Pharaoh no longer wanted in his sight anymore. There were other prisons in Egypt for other low-life type criminals, but not the white-collar criminals. They were thrown in Potiphar's house. So Joseph is now surrounded by people. He has no idea why he's around them. But he's about to be trained in the inner workings of the culture of the palace and how Pharaoh works. He doesn't know Pharaoh is going to be his future employer. He doesn't know God is systematically preparing him for the next season. He thinks he's being punished. He thinks he's off God's radar. How many of you know if you recognized that the people around you in this season right now, that there are people God has placed there that you have thought, why am I here? Why are these people around me? There are people God has placed around you right now to teach you things that you need for the next season of your promotion. People come into your life for a reason, for a season, or for a lifetime. When you meet them, you don't get to decide which category they're going to be in, but you discover over time. So now Joseph, he gets promoted. All of a sudden, we've seen this before. It says he's running the prison. I just have to say to somebody who is in a pivot situation where you're going into a new career, a new season, the favor that was on you in the previous season, it wasn't on the job. It was on you. So when you step out, guess what? How many are thankful that the favor of God is transferable? Can I get an amen? Aren't you thankful that in the new situation, the spirit of God can come on you in that situation? So here he is. He's running the prison. And some of these inmates had dreams that needed interpretation so the cupbearer the guy that would drink pharaoh's wine to make sure it wasn't poisoned he has a dream joseph interprets the dream and says listen it's going to go well for you in fact pharaoh's going to stop being mad at you he's going to hire you back you're going to be promoted you'll be back serving at the at the at the palace when the baker sees that the cupbearer got a favorable interpretation he said oh joseph i had a dream too can you tell me what my dream means and Joseph says, uh, sorry, cupbearer, you're dead. <laughs> like, uh, Pharaoh's still mad at you. In fact, he's going to kill you. And both of the dreams happened. Now, we get a glimmer into the heart of Joseph because as the cupbearer is being restored to his position, he says to him, when you get rehired by Pharaoh and you're in his good graces and you have his ear, remember me. Like, at this point, I'm done waiting on God. I'm putting things in my own hands. Like, remember me. And what does the Bible say? It says, for two more years, they forgot all about Joseph. <laughs> Another. What happens is, see, when you're stuck in a bad situation or a season that feels like it's been too long, we want to go from mountaintop to mountaintop. So 
mankind, what's in our nature is we build bridges. <laughs> we do the best we can to just like, it may be a paper mache bridge. It may kill you trying to go across it. It may actually set you back in your progress, but we try to build bridges. God has another strategy to get you from mountaintop to mountaintop, and it's called the valley. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you back to that next mountaintop, but I'm first going to take you into the valley. Can I say to someone today that if you find yourself in a valley, you may have not taken a wrong turn. Maybe you followed God walking in step with the Spirit, and he led you into the valley. Sometimes our wrong choices, sometimes dumb things we do, disobedience can put us in a valley moment, but sometimes you actually follow the Spirit of God, you're walking in step with him, and then you find yourself in a valley. And I'm telling you, it's in those valley moments where we are dying for answers, we are craving for clarity. We just want answers, but it's in those moments that God just wants conversation. And he wants us to lean in, and he wants our attention. And he's really looking for intimacy. And so here you are. You're in, you're in this valley. Here Joseph is. He's, he's been forgotten by those he's helped. But now, two years later, all of a sudden they remember Joseph. Because Pharaoh has a dream. And the cupbearer says, I knew a dream interpreter when I was in the clink. In fact, you put me there. But he's going to help you. And all of a sudden now, Joseph is given this opportunity. He is brought before Pharaoh. The 17-year-old Joseph would have said to Pharaoh when Pharaoh said, hey, I had this dream. I think it's pretty significant because I had the dream like three times. It affects the whole nation. What can you tell me? The 17-year-old immature, undeveloped Joseph would have been like, can I tell you, Pharaoh, I got a business card for you. It's 1-800-PROFIT, and I will, I'm 10 out of 10. Like, I, I will hook you up. That's the immature before the process, Joseph. The Bible says that when Joseph stood before the most powerful man in the world who could have helped him, he said, Pharaoh, what you're asking for, I can't help with. Do you see the humility? Do you see the change of heart after all he had gone through? He said, I can't help you, but the God whom I serve can certainly answer this riddle. How many are thankful that there is a supernatural grace on your life? You're like, I can't do that, but I know the God who is in me is well able, so we're going to go down and do this. Watch this. Here's the, here's the equation. This is, I believe, the equation for kingdom competency in so many areas. It's the confession. I can't. But I don't stop there. Plus, he can. Equals we will. I believe that when you get into a situation where you're honest and say, I can't do that. I can't raise the dead. I can't heal cancer. I, I can't lead my coworker to Christ. But you know what? He can, and so we will. Because God loves partnership. He wants to do it with you. He wants to do it through you. He's just waiting to get us to the point where we say, I can't do it without you. And even if I could, God, I don't want to do it without you because the whole thing is actually about intimacy with you in the first place. So Joseph has been transformed from the inside out. He's promoted. He's number two in Egypt. He's the prime minister now. The Bible says that his aging father, Jacob, who thought he was dead, got reinstated to Joseph, and for 17 years, Joseph was able to care for his father. What a gift. 
What a gift. For those of you caring for your parents at end of life, the struggle, the, the care fatigue that can sit in, but also what a gift. The Bible says very clearly that the greater always blesses the lesser. In the scripture, the story says that Joseph brought Pharaoh in and brought his father Jacob in, and it says that Jacob stepped into the room and blessed Pharaoh. Where does that put Jacob? That puts Jacob at the end of his life on top of the world because he is blessing. He is greater than the most powerful man in the known world. How many of you know that your obedience actually impacts every single person in your proximity, in your family? If they're connected to you, they're going to be blessed by your obedience as you step deeper into the dream of God. We also see some of the inner healing that Joseph gets. You know, he names his one son Manasseh, which means God made me forget my pain. He names his other son Ephraim, which means fruitful. He says, God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. And then his brothers come to him, and they bow down because they have no food left in their hometown. And it's the first time in 13-plus years that Joseph realizes why he had the vision he had. The vision he had was not even for him. It wasn't even about him. It was to serve others. Now Joseph's ego has been worked over. Now he understands. He sees the plan of God. But when you're going through this process, when you are in the peaks, in the valleys, what happens is sometimes is, is we just want out. Like, let's be honest. We just want to speed up the process. But it's in the valleys that you don't just, like Israel, learn the acts of God. You learn the ways of God. You learn the nature of God. When you're going around the mountain, sometimes, sometimes you're going around the mountain and you're thinking, I've been here before. This scenery looks familiar. I used to hear people say, God will never let you fail a test. He'll just have you retake it. But have you ever had a situation where you're in your life where you feel like you passed the test and then you had to retake it? You're like, I thought I passed that generosity test, that character test. No, no, no. You're not going crazy. And you're not going in circles. You're going in cycles. You're actually going, you're taking that test at a higher altitude up the mountain as you grow. And how many are thankful that when you go through a season, we call them boundaried events, just like the, the days of his prosperity and his advantage and the silver spoon in his mouth, those days were numbered, so also were the days of his time in the valley and in the trial. So you're not going through an eternal season, otherwise it wouldn't be a season, it would be a sentence. The experience you're having right now is a season, and seasons will shift, and seasons will change. And we see through the life of Joseph, he had to embrace the process. Here's, here's something that's a little scary. 100% of us go through this process, but only 20% come out on the other side reaching their redemptive potential. Every industry, you can study it, any industry, Biblical characters, business, government. Why is it that 100% of humans have to go through peaks and valleys, but only 20% 20, 20 reach their redemptive potential? I think a couple of things. I think we tell ourselves, it's only me. Victim thinking comes in like, why am I in another valley? What in the world is going on? And, and we're so busy looking at other people's success and their highlight reel. Or for some of us, let's be honest, you're going through a valley, you're like, forget it. This is where I stop. Like, I'm not going any further. 
I'm out of gas. Um, the, the temptation is that when you're going through a tragedy to adjust your theology, to, to come to some conclusions about God that are not true, to come to some conclusions about yourself that are not true. And because people around us care for us, we throw a pity party and they come. And they're like, yeah, 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 you're okay, stay here. It's okay, it's okay. But the problem is now we're stuck. We're not advancing in the dream of God. So the last thing, the third thing that Joseph needed to do was he needed to protect his face in the future. He needed to become solely dependent on God. He needed to embrace the process. And lastly, I'm going to ask the worship team to come. He had to protect his face in the future. You say, Pastor Josh, do you mean faith in the future? No, I mean face because God gives you a vision, gives you a dream of what your life is going to look like in the future. Look at that smiley face. I can't draw, but I can draw a smiley face. You are happy. You are in your redemptive potential. You are in the will of God. He gave you a vision of what your marriage could be like, your, your, your health could be like, your business could be like. The only challenge is getting your butt to where your face is. Hello. That's the challenge. I see the picture. I see the vision. I'm just not sure if I want all these peaks and valleys. He had to protect his face in the future. And I'll close with this. Winston Churchill, another young man who had a vision. He was 16 years old. He was at school. And he actually prophesied about himself to his classmates. Dumb. Dumb idea. Just like Joseph. But it was accurate. This is what he said. He said, I see a vast darkness coming across the land. I see Great Britain in trouble, and it shall fall upon my shoulders to save the nation. Now, if someone at my lunch table said that, we would have laughed so we would have, dude, you are crazy. What like lay off the weed? Like what you are insane. Winston Churchill. 16 years old. He sees his face in the future. 50 years later, after five decades of the process, Winston Churchill stands up before the parliament and he says, all my life has been preparation for this one moment. How many of you know God won't waste your pain? But because he's got great plans for you, he's got great preparation. And you know what? The thing that motivates you won't just be your personal growth. It won't just be your income. It won't just be the status you have. Your personal growth is ultimately about the glory of God. Because when you look at the life of Joseph and when you look over your life over the seasons and over the process and all that you've gone through the good the bad and the ugly what does the Bible say the Bible says that when you see him when I see him I will lay a crown at his feet and I will say Jesus you are worthy of everything in the process the good the bad the ugly I'm not presenting a perfect life before you I'm I'm surrendering a, a dedicated life a surrendered life I'm saying God I held on to the football the best I could but you carried me all the way through or I wouldn't have made it you have a crown that is developing not just a dream not just a personal life goal not just a business you're not just raising kids you are there's people waiting on the other side of your obedience because your growth is ultimately about the glory of God you will lay a crown before him and you will say Jesus I didn't do it perfectly but you carried me 
And when people wronged me and hurt me, you healed me on the inside. And when I had nowhere else that I could turn, you met me and your favor ushered me into another. And when I thought I was off your radar, you came to me again. Christ Church, would you stand to your feet? I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray for the dream you're carrying. I wanna pray for the football in your hands. Some of you, the journey has been too tough and you set it aside. You said, God, give it to somebody else. I'm too old, I'm too tired, I'm too ashamed. Can I tell you that he is not gonna change his mind? He chose to give you that vision. That face in the future is what he still has in his mind. I want you to close your eyes all across this room. Some of you here today, maybe you're new to church and you need to know the reason God kept the story of Joseph in the Bible is honestly not even about Joseph. It was to get you to think about Jesus because Jesus was mistreated. Our sin abused him and traumatized him and killed him on a cross. And just like Joseph was wronged and looked at his accusers and looked at his abusers and said, you meant it for evil, but God actually used the process for good. Jesus would say to you today that your sin put him on the cross, but God meant it for good. And he chooses to give you grace. He chooses to give you mercy. And so today, as we begin to pray, as we close, I want you just to open your heart. Some of you may be a homecoming. You know, you've known God before, but it's time to come home. It's time to, you heard Dr. Island, it's time to come home. For some of you, it may be the first time. I want you to close your eyes right now. I want to ask you, if you know the dream that is in your heart, what God has spoken to you, I just want you to lift your hands and surrender. You're saying, I could take some hope. I could take some endurance. Holy Spirit right here, see me. I'm in the process and I want to keep going, but I don't know how much more I have in the tank. I need your supernatural clarity. God, right now, would you speak a fresh word? Marriage is restored. Infertility reversed. Creative solutions, God. Entrepreneurial spirit. Patents, God. Licenses. God, I thank you for restoration. God, I thank you for healing. I thank you for healing the places that people never even ask for forgiveness for coming into the trauma, into the pain. Thank you that beyond repair is not in your vocabulary. You make all things new. Refresh us, God. Restore us. In Christ Church, I'm going to ask all of us to pray this together for those that are in, in their hearts saying, I need to get right with God. Listen, you came to church today. Do not leave without being right with God. I'm going to lead you in a prayer of surrender as Pastor Ron comes. But I want all of us to pray this together. I don't want them to be alone. So come on, Christ Church family, repeat after me this prayer. Just say, Jesus, you see me for who I am. I'm in desperate need of your grace and forgiveness. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and died to pay for my sin. And I receive his new life, his forgiveness, my citizenship in the family of God. Say this with me, say, Holy Spirit, fill me with supernatural grace that I may follow Jesus all the days of my life. 
Come on, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or as a homecoming, would you just shoot up your hand and just wave at me, wherever you are, whatever section. You say, Pastor Josh, I prayed with you. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Come on, Christ Church. God bless you. Come on, how many of you know you got to hold on to that face in the future because Jesus is going to be faithful to you in the middle of your process. God bless you.